Hallelujah. All right, so good to be sharing God's word with you all tonight. I'm excited. I'm happy that you are here. Um, I can't see you all physically, but I know your heart is here. Um, I would need you to be attentive because what I'm going to be sharing tonight is it's something that um, is important. But I have I have a personal. How will I put this now? I have just this. It's just something personal, all right? Just a personal, you know, affection for what I want to teach tonight. Partly because I have suffered a lot from my ignorance of what I want to teach. You know, there's there's a way that pain. You know, and I want to say this just to just encourage somebody. Your pain and the things that you are going through or that you have gone through can really be a source of grace or, you know, a source of grace to enable you to impact others. Are you getting what I'm saying? So your, your pain can be, you know, can be a, um, a channel of strong anointing or point. So you don't, you don't joke with your pain, all right? And I think I, I mentioned some of those things when we, you know, did the series on how to handle hard times. There are some things that you will go through as a person that would, those things that you have gone through would be what would be responsible, would be responsible, all right, for certain levels of grace and insight into the knowledge and character of God that would in turn help other people. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody recently and I was saying that, you know, this thing that you have gone through that you are ashamed of, all right, this thing that you are ashamed of can really be a source of encouragement and deliverance for countless people more than you can imagine. Are you getting what I'm saying? One of the reasons why Paul was such a strong tool, was such an apostle of the gospel, an apostle of God's righteousness, you know, was because for a long time he was a slave to the law, trying to please God, you know, by so many things. And when, when he encountered the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, those, those experiences he has had, those years of ignorance and pain that he had gone through, you know, just imagine yourself being a professor of ignorance. Because that's what he really was. He was a professor of the law, but yet he was a professor of ignorance. He was ignorant of the ways of God. And so when he, you know, he got converted, you know, and became an apostle, it was so easy for God to use him. He had such a passion for the Gentiles. And that was why he told the church in Galatia, said, if anybody, even if an angel gives you another message, different from the message of grace that we preach to you. Let such a person, let such an angel be accursed. He was so confident in what, in the message that he gave to the church, that he was saying, if anybody brings another message to you, another kind of message, different from what we have given to you, let such a being, whether an angel, wherever he is, let him be accursed. Two things. Number one, he had such a passion to see that people don't suffer the things he has suffered from. Number two, he was so confident in the ministry. You hear Paul say things like, I magnify my office. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a talk of pride. It is confidence in the stewardship that he has received by mercy and grace. And that's why when we, when we preach these things, when we preach the word of God, we preach with every, you know, with, every, with all the fiber of our being, with absolute sincerity, all right, before God. 
So when I teach personally, I'm not looking for the approval of men. Whether you like what I'm teaching or not, whether you agree with it or not, I will teach it regardless. Because personally, I endeavor as lies within me to ensure that everything I'm teaching, I've verified it. Alright? I don't teach things I'm not sure about. Are you get what I'm saying? So both from study of scripture, personal revelation and encounters, you know, I teach ultimately using the scripture as my guide and the final say. Because we must all believe in the infallibility of the scriptures. I you get what I'm saying? This teaching tonight will make great impact in your work with God and will set you on the right course and as many people that you are going to invite him. Alright, before I go into today's teaching, I just sense a need to reiterate some of the things we talked about last month. Um, that was last week. Throughout October, we were studying parables and dark sayings, right? So I want to go over it briefly, particularly concerning the coming of the Lord. I want to go over it again as because it's a prophetic word. Not prophetic in the sense of something you guys don't know, but prophetic in the sense of um, the day is drawing closer, the day is drawing near. Alright, so I want to just go over it briefly. I want to go over it again, briefly, just for 10 minutes, just go over it again. I know I mentioned it. If you, if you didn't listen to um, last week's teaching, please, it's going to be on Mixelow and the recording will be out soon. But you can still go over it, listen to it again. Because even me, I went over it again. I listened to it again. I think the following day, I think, yeah, the following day or the day after, I listened to it again. Right? So, um, because apart from the fact that um, I'm teaching, I'm also bound by the principles that I teach. So I want to go over it again, the coming of the Lord. I want us to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5 from verse 1 to 10. I will just read it through. I'm using HCSB. Um, if you don't have HCSB, it's fine. I'm just using it because that's the ad copy Bible I have with me. But you can just follow me through as I'm teaching you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 1 to 10. I want to read it to you and just say one or two things and I'll go to I'll go to tonight's teaching. So this is just like more like a charge for us. It says about the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Just like a thief in the night. Verse 3. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Notice he is using day, 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 day. Note those words. He's not you. He's talking about. He's talking about day. So in this context, we are seeing that Paul is talking to believers and is describing the fate of unbelievers. Are you getting what I'm saying? He says, you, you don't need anybody to write it, write anything to you about the coming of the Lord. You know, and averagely, if you're a believer, if you have been a believer for a while, if you didn't just get born again today or yesterday, you must have heard that Jesus is coming soon. So it's not something new. Alright, so Paul here, yeah, there are two groups of people, the believers and the unbelievers. And so Paul in verse 3 is talking about the unbelievers. He says, when they say peace and security, their sudden destruction will come upon them and blah, 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 all of those things. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, but you, that is, he's talking to us now, believers. He says, but you brothers are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. Now, I want to spend some time to explain this. This is, because this is, this encapsulates what I talked about last week. Because I mentioned to you, through the teaching of the parable of the ten virgins, I said, the hallmark of the wise virgins was that they were prepared what Jesus was trying to teach in that parable of the ten virgins is actually for believers to be prepared. Are you get what I'm saying? 
you must be prepared you must live prepared for the coming of the lord you must live prepared and so if a believer is not living prepared is is acting like a foolish virgin are you get what i'm saying you must be prepared for the what paul is saying he says you brothers are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thing meaning this coming of the lord should not catch you unawares should not catch you unprepared why because you're not in the dark god doesn't expect the coming of the lord all right to overtake you like a thief in the night you should be prepared so verse 5 he now says for you are all sons of the light sons of light and sons of the day we do not belong to the night of the darkness so he's using metaphors here he's saying look you guys are in the light you are sons of light you are sons of the day meaning you know the ways of the lord even though you don't know the exact hour or the exact moment are you following what i'm saying friends even though you don't know the exact moment the exact day the exact hour when the son of man will come regardless nevertheless you are sons of the day meaning you should live prepared so look at verse 6 paul now says look at verse 6 everybody he says so then because you are sons of the light so then we must not sleep like the rest but we must stay awake and be serious sure you are getting what i'm saying now you must stay awake and be serious you remember jesus said it in that parable of the ten virgins he said be alert meaning be awake be serious be prepared for you do not know what hour or day the son of man will come so yes paul reiterating what jesus said in that parable in verse 6 he says so because you are sons of the light you are sons of the day so be serious be awake don't sleep like the rest don't be careless like the rest don't be unprepared don't be lost in the cares of this world in the ambitions and passions of the flesh in the ambitions of mortal men I, I always tell believers you can't be chasing what an unbeliever is chasing <coughs> now i'm not saying that because jesus is coming soon you know you now go you now be uh, how, how do i put it now you will not do anything with your life you are not serving the lord you are not doing anything you, you are not even planning to get married you're not talking about that in fact because jesus is coming soon go and marry <laughs> that's just a joke anyways but that's what we are talking about. Be prepared means even as you go through your daily activities, as you are striving to build a career, build your business, striving to build a relationship, striving to get into courtship, marry a beautiful lady, marry an handsome man, raise a family. As you are doing all of those things, ensure you are not distracted. Ensure you don't lose focus. Ensure your eyes is on the ball. That's wisdom. That's the wisdom for the last days. So we're not saying just don't do anything just go and just go and sit down in one place in one field you know there was i was reading um about church history nigerian church history at the time you know and i discovered that there was a time a particular man i can't remember his name now from america was giving he gave a prophecy that jesus was coming very soon and that he was going to land in arizona in america in the usa and so believers believed him so some people even left school and then they traveled to arizona i'm sure um, they are wise now all right so don't let anybody fool you all right but you must be awake you must be serious verse 7 says for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night verse 8 it says but since we belong to the to the day we must be serious that's why i'm using hcsb version i don't know you know which version you are using but it's saying the same thing all right giving the same implication giving the same meaning to, to the word it implies the same thing all right verse 8 says but since we are children of the day we belong we are children we are believers 
So we must be serious. Alright? We must be we must be alert. We must be prepared. Listen, anything that, that takes the seriousness of the coming of the Lord from your heart is of the devil. I told you, any doctrine that excuses you from responsibility is a lie, is a deception from the pit of hell. Even though we know that we must have an assurance of salvation, that God in Christ Jesus has ordained us for salvation, and that Christ is able to save us to the uttermost. It is true, I've taught you guys before, countless times, and I'm going to touch it again today, and that you must have assurance of salvation. Maybe not today, maybe in the course of this series, I will still talk about it, because that is gospel. Even though those things are true, even though Christ, as God in Christ Jesus, desires to save you to the uttermost, Bible says, God, you know, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who come to, to God through him. Even though those things are true, hallelujah, we must not forget that we have a responsibility. What is our responsibility? Being serious. Holding on to the message we have received. Allowing the word of God to profit us. And I said to you, I spoke to you last week, that don't engage in useless and unnecessary discussions. Is one saved forever saved? If I'm a believer now and, I co- and I'm committing fornication, will I still make heaven? Shall be I'm eternally saved? See, if you ask me that kind of question, I won't answer you. And I'm, and I'm not in, in any way interested in providing answers to such a... It's a devilish question. It's very devilish. Why do you want to commit fornication? Because you believe you are eternally saved. It's just on seriousness. It's just carnality. Now, I'm not saying that we are all... We are perfect people. We have this, you know... We are all maturing, all right? Even after Paul had done ministry for more than 30 years, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him, that I may, that I may know his suffering, that I may, that I may know. That's the outcry of every man who is working with God, because at every point in time, God will show you, you never know me finish. There are still things in you I want to deal with. I, so I'm not talking about being perfect. Of course, we are all growing into perfection, into spiritual maturity by using the word of God daily. Are you getting what I'm saying? But we must be serious. We must not get like a desical and allow lasciviousness to enter into us because it's coming soon. Are you getting what I'm saying? So that knowledge, that understanding that Christ is coming soon must inspire in you a level of serious that nothing in this world can take away. Not even your frailties and weaknesses can take that seriousness away. Not even circumstances can take it away. Not good times or bad times can take it away. Not joy or sorrow can take it away. Nothing in this world. So you must have that seriousness. Look at what now, look at, you know, verse 8 says, But since we belong to the day, we must be serious. And how can we be serious? It says, by putting on, it says, and put on the armor of faith and love for you. So you have to, that, this faith, the faith here is not faith to receive things. Lord, I have faith that Sister Tokwa is my wife. I take her in Jesus' name. No, in your corner, so that's what we are talking about. Lord, I have faith for one billion dollars. No, when you talk about faith, they are talking about the message you received, the message that got you saved. That's what faith means here in context. So you must hold on to that message that got you saved. And love on your chest. You must walk in love. And put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. When I taught you, I think last year, I spoke to you about spiritual warfare. And I should, I'm not sure if I will teach you that this year. Because some of us don't even know how to engage spiritual warfare. You don't even know what Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 6 
from verse 10 to about you know 13 or 14 or so when he said put on the armor of faith you think there's no armor there's nothing like there's no armor in heaven he was just using metaphors to explain certain spiritual realities and those things he was saying meant certain things and you must understand them in engaging spiritual warfare in these last days and i've told you before that the greatest spiritual warfare in the end times is not oguidili i'm telling you the greatest warfare in these end times is not even the one Russia and Ukraine is fighting or, or Israel and these other guys are fighting. That's not, even the, that's not even it. The greatest warfare in this end time will be spiritual deception. That's why Paul warned the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, I fear lest the devil, this, by the same way he subtly you know, deceived Eve, has also deceived you from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. So you must put on the element of the hope of salvation. Your eyes must be fixed on the goal. And I've said it before, that we are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. There's something called the hope of salvation. That's the paradox of our faith, that our salvation is both a reality and a hope. Now, the hope of salvation they are talking about there is that our body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, this mortality we wear we put on immortality that's the hope of our salvation so the reason why you're a believer you love the lord but you are still struggling with the flesh struggling with sickness struggling with certain things you 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 don't want to do some things but you do them is because you are still in this flesh but look there's a hope of salvation are you get what i'm saying verse 9 says for god did not appoint us to rot what has god appointed us for god has appointed us to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we live together with him verse 11 he says therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already do so that's why i'm doing this to encourage you tonight be serious my friends i encourage myself too. let go of distractions your lover your bridegroom is coming soon and he must meet you prepared so you ask me a question what will happen to believers who are not prepared maybe they have the holy ghost i'm not going to i don't have answer for you <laughs> may the lord bless your heart in jesus name my own the Bible says be prepared don't ask unnecessary questions be prepared make up your mind to be prepared be serious about the lord be serious about the things of god be serious about your spiritual growth. Be serious about church. Be serious about working with the Lord. Be serious about fulfilling your ministry. Be serious about preaching the gospel. Be serious about discipleship. Are we all following what I'm saying? Be serious about the coming. Carry your oil with you. That's the language of prepared people. Carry your oil. Be prepared. May the Lord bless our heart in Jesus' name. So that was just a church for you. And I, and I hope you add that and it sank into your heart, you know. Alright, so tonight we are talking about God's righteousness revealed. And this, is, this teaching is going to bless you mightily. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Romans chapter 1, verse... We, we did a teaching on the book of Romans some months ago. I did, did some exposition on the book of Romans. I will do it again maybe next year or thereabout. Because this one book I want everybody to understand perfectly. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Once again, I'm going to be using HCSB. Um, okay, thank you. HCSB version. You can use any version you want, you know, but I'm using HCSB. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. It says, For I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Verse 17. It says, For in it, God's righteousness is revealed 
from faith to faith faith just as it is written the righteous will live by faith for in it god's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written the righteous the righteous will live by faith you know if these two verses uh, can take us one year of study i'm telling you if you want to do a thorough exposition on this just these two verses but my friends we are going to use almost a year if not more studying this because this is this is this is the entire encapsulation of the gospel paul says in the gospel is the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith just as it is written the righteous will live by faith so let's just do some of some expositions tonight i'll be fast because we have quite a number of things to cover all right so i'll be fast so when you look at this text you see that the gospel is not just mere talk paul says this gospel is the power of god the power of god unto salvation so when we preach the gospel all right the gospel has power to save you see the power of god for salvation is not that blind eyes are seen are you following what i'm saying the power of god is not revealed you know in lame walking in even dead you know i get what i'm saying because there are some people in the occult that have been able to master all these things some people have used the you know the power of the devil to make people see so the power of god the power of god is not revealed in miracles now miracles are expressions of the power of god i get what i'm saying that's why i tell people miracles don't get people saved listen if miracles could get people saved you know israel would not have been behaving the way they've been behaving you know god would do mighty things rain rain manna from heaven and they will eat it too god will part red sea they will walk through Red Sea. They saw mighty signs and wonders. But immediately something happens. They are very quick to go and carve out. Are you get what I'm saying? To go and carve out um, stones to worship. So miracles don't get people saved. Miracles don't build conviction. Are you getting what I'm saying? So that's why ministries that are focused on miracles, you know, they may be popular. They may people may creep in there, but they will not be able to build solid men. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, when we preach the gospel we should expect miracles because miracles only confirm that the gospel that we are preaching is the message of god because the bible says god attested of jesus by miracles signs and wonders are you getting what i'm saying so one of the ways that god attested that what jesus was saying was true and that he was sent from god was that there were miracles happening right so miracles are very vital but miracle is not actually the power of god to bring men to salvation i get what i'm saying so that's why paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god unto salvation so now let me do a quick dissection a quick exposition what is paul trying to say when he says the gospel is the power of god unto salvation what does he mean the gospel is the power of god because in it god shows men how they can become right with him did you get that i hope you are with your writing materials because this would help you to know i may not be able to really teach you how to preach the gospel today but you know you know I, I think i've said it before there was a time when i just got born again i would go on evangelism people don't people wouldn't get saved right and i'll be worried and it was because i didn't know the gospel and i've told you the gospel is not come come to my church that's not the gospel the gospel is not uh, um, if you come to God, God will make you, He will bless you, make you lose. That is not the gospel. That doesn't get men saved. That doesn't show men how they can become right with God. There's a gospel that, that, that God has given us. And in that gospel, 
God shows men how they can become right with Him. So the gospel is actually how men can be, is, is actually God showing men how they can become right with Him. That's why it is the power of God. And I'm going to show you what that means briefly. I'm just going to show you what it means when we say that in the gospel is God showing, how, is God showing men how they can become right with Him. I'm going to show you briefly. Now look at this. Men, since the time of the fall, I guess what I'm saying. Men, since the, since the time Adam and Eve fell, they've been looking for how they can be right with God. Men have, since, since the time of the fall, the entire human race, they may not know. Men have been looking for how they can assess divinity. Even an atheist or an, you know, an agnostic that says he doesn't believe in God, he's not sure about the reality of God, somewhere in his heart, he knows there's a divine being and his heart is yearning for how to connect with him but he doesn't just know how some of them in their ignorance they don't know how some of them in their pride and love for darkness they wouldn't just come into the light but really ever since man fell are you get what i'm saying there has been this on you this divine craving this divine search for how to become right with god for how to become one with god that is why men carved out gods for themselves carved out meats you get what i'm saying a man would just look at a big sea and say kai this is a mighty sea this is not just normal there must be a being there must be a being that is responsible for the mightiness of this these waters and so you know what they do because that's his, that's his mind trying to connect with god but he doesn't know how to connect with him because when we say Becoming right with God. We are talking about becoming one with God. Connecting with God. So what he does in his ignorance and in the darkness of his mind is that he goes to go and carve out a tree and he gives it a name and says, this is the God of the rivers. That's how men build gods for themselves. So nothing strange. Buddha, you know, I, I studied religion, you know, because I did a course in school called Sociology of Religion. All right? It, it's kind of... Um, in fact, my, my project title was centered around religion. And my, and my professor asked me, why religion? I said, I just have a passion about religion. I want to know why people believe what they believe. I want to know why people think the way they think. And this is not just, this is not just about Africa. If you have studied human history, you would have discovered that men have dipped their hands into diabolic things dip their hands into idolatry just in a bid to find God, just in a bid to connect with Him. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so men, since, the, since that time of the fall, they've been looking for a way, just looking, searching. But because of the limitation of the fall, men could neither find God nor walk in fellowship with Him. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because of the limitation. You know, when the Bible says that God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden and asked a cherubim, alright, asked an angel to guide the, the tree of life. It's a prophetic statement. It simply means that the, the way to God has, has been blocked. Are you following what I'm saying? That's what it means. The way to access God, to fellowship with God was blocked. Access to God was blocked. That's why even in the Old Testament era, only the high priest could enter into the holies of holies. And even the high priest, you have to tie a chain, a bell around his feet or waist or thereabout. So that even in case he dies in the holies of holies, maybe there's one sin he committed that he didn't know about, that he didn't atone for. Then God will strike him and say, you are not fit to come here. 
So an angel will strike him down. And so the people, if they see that the high priest is not coming out, they will draw him out with that rope. Because you dare not enter. So when the Bible says Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, the presence of God, that estate, that place of intimate fellowship, that standing of righteousness with God was blocked. That's what it means when the Bible says an angel was guiding the way to the tree of life. And so men could not find it. Men couldn't find God. Men couldn't be right with him. But hallelujah, God who is rich in his mercy through the gospel has shown us how we can become righteous. God in his mercy, full, plenteous in mercy. He has shown us in the gospel how men can become righteous. So you see, when we preach the gospel, we are actually showing men how they can become righteous with, before God. We are showing them how they can return to that tree of life and partake of its fruit. Are you get what I'm saying? When we preach the gospel, we are showing men that, hallelujah, that angel that was stopping access to the tree of life has been taken away. God has summoned him. So the way, you know, to fellowship with God, to be right with God, is now open. And you can come in. The only thing you need is faith. That's why you see in that verse 17. Let's read from verse 16 again. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Are we following? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Hmm. First to the Jew. What, when it means to the Jew, it means that the gospel was first preached to the Jewish nation. We know that until Paul came, the gospel was not preached to the Gentiles. Alright? So it was Paul that God, of course, Peter was the first person to preach to Gentiles. Alright? Biblically, he was the first person to preach because he preached to the house of Cornelius. So he, because Peter was the one God gave the keys to. So he was the one that opened the door of salvation and the door of the gospel, the gospel of salvation and of God's righteousness to the Gentiles. But it was actually Paul that God used to spread it abroad in a mighty way. Hallelujah. So the, in, in the gospel contains, you know, God's righteousness. And what that means is that in, I think, TPT puts it this way. Let me paraphrase. If you have TPT, you can help, help me post it. There's where TPT um, put these words, and it it just made sense to me. You know, TPT says, "For in the gospel, God shows how men can become right with Him." You know, I told you that what man lost, you know, what what man was looking for was a way to become right with God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Amen. What what man was looking for? since the time of the fall, was a way to become right with God. But now in the gospel, God has shown men how they can become right with Him. And what is the way they can become right with Him? Having faith in the gospel. Having faith in the, in the gospel of salvation. Now quickly, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Let me, because some of us need to know what the gospel is. I've taught this several times. But let me do it again. First Corinthians chapter 15. So you can know what to preach when you are going on evangelism. So you know I'll be preaching things that God didn't send you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. It says, Now brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. So yes, Paul saying, Look guys, I want to let you know the gospel I preached. The gospel that got you saved. Okay. I want to show you 1 Corinthians 15. Let's post it. I want to show you how, I want to show you the in, in clear terms what the gospel is it says you received it and have taken your stand on it verse 2 it says you are also saved by so this gospel is preaching 
he preached to them was what God had saved. And that is what he's trying to open their eyes to see. Because you must understand the gospel that got you saved. Unless you believe for no purpose. Verse 3, he says, For I passed unto you as most important what I also received. Now, there's something I want to say. You can't carve out your own gospel. This is not my message, but I just, I'm just flowing with the Spirit of God. If we look at verse 3, Paul says, This gospel, me too, I actually received it. It's not something that, that originated from me. I didn't carve out my own gospel. So listen, if you are interested in preaching and teaching the gospel, I've said this once and again, if you are interested in preaching and teaching the gospel, you have to learn it. Somebody has to teach you. You can't, you can't just be saying what you feel is true or what you like. It's a tradition that must have been passed down to you. You get what I'm saying? That's why being taught God's word is very important. So that's why Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verse 1 to 2, I guess. He said, he said, this same message that I've been giving you, pass it on to faithful men who will teach others also. So the gospel is a tradition that must be passed to you. So you can't teach what you like. Because Paul too said, verse 3, he says, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, For I passed unto you as most important what I also received. So meaning he too, he was taught the gospel. And what is the gospel? It says that Christ died for what? Our sins. According to the scriptures. Listen, I can show you from Genesis to Genesis to Revelation. How that the scripture, the scripture shows that Christ actually died for our sins. In fact, as a matter of fact, when Adam and Eve fell, Bible says Jesus, I mean God rather, killed an animal and clothed them with the skin, alright, of that animal. That was already a prophecy. That was already God preaching the gospel to Adam and Eve. That I will slay my son so that you can be clothed with his righteousness. I'm going to go into that much more later, alright? But, but let me just say this. So, that Christ died for us is according to the scriptures, not just that verse 4, that he was buried are you seeing the gospel? And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So when I'm preaching the gospel, what am I preaching? I'm telling the sinner that, oh guy, let's look at this. Christ died for your sins. Your sins have been paid for. And he didn't just die, he was buried. Went into the depths of of hell and he was raised on the third day for your justification so right now your sin have been rolled away all you need to do is to believe in jesus that he died for you that's what paul was saying and that's what he also meant in romans chapter 1 verse 16 that we have been reading are you seeing that so i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the it is god's power for salvation you see in the resurrection of christ was god's greatest display of power that is the gospel. And so if you believe the gospel, you become saved. So I told you that when I got saved at first, you know, I'll be preaching what I thought was the gospel. People were not getting saved. So when I understood the gospel, all right, I don't even need to take, if I'm taking too long with somebody, it's because I have preached the gospel to that person and I'm just trying to answer some questions that the person may have in their heart. Questions about Christianity, about the gospel. Because we also do that when we are preaching the gospel. All right? But you see, at best, I don't use more than 5-10 minutes to preach the gospel to get a person saved. I'm telling you. And with all humility, even Muslims. It's just a simple gospel. Hallelujah. So, if we believe the simple truth we have, if we, if we believe the fact, if a man believes that Christ died for his sins, was buried and rose for his justification, 
on the third day. That man has been saved. He has become right with God. Just so simple. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4. In this Bible study, we are going to open a lot of scriptures. And I hope you are not tired of opening scriptures. I want to tell you why I'm showing these, these, these things. <laughs> you know, I said something. I said, miracles don't build conviction. Only teachings, doctrine can build conviction. You know, I said something to some people some years back. And I think I must have mentioned it on this platform one way or the other. Do you know why it is very hard, very hard and cumbersome to convert a Muslim, for instance? You know why? An average Muslim who has been to Arabic school, what they call Ilekewu, has a strong conviction in what he believes. In such a way that it would take it would take a lot. Because when they take them through those Arabic school, in fact, I in my neighborhood where I grew up, we used to have an Ilekewu, right? An Arabic school. For those of you who are not Yorubas, Arabic school. They will flog you to know the Quran. You know, some of you, when you are going to Sunday school, you know, Christianity is very, it looks like a liberal religion, alright? They take you to Sunday school as a young chap, you'll be crying for, 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 for Capricorn. In Sunday school, they'll be playing cartoon for you. It's not like that, though, in Arabic school. They will flog your destiny if you don't want to learn that. So, just imagine from a young child, they are, they are forcing your heart to accept a tenant. By the time you are 35, all the fabric of your soul has become Quran. That's why even though they are not doing crusade like us, they are not doing uh, evangelism like us, they are, they are very and they are, they are expanding. Why? Because discipleship is what builds conviction. That's what we are doing. As I'm showing this scripture, as you are falling, learning, there's conviction. And listen, if your conviction is strong, experiences can't take it away from you. Why do you think Paul will go through different things? Paul, will, Paul in writing his apostolic CV, said, I've been flogged 40, 40 times. I've been through hunger. Alright? At the peril in the day, at the peril in the night. What do you think gave him such conviction? It's not because he was an apostle. There are many apostles, alright, that turned back. What gave him such conviction was the amount of time he has immersed himself in the study of God's word. That's why there was a time Paul was teaching and to, a, to the king. And the king said, Ha! Too much study has made you mad. You almost got me saved. Too much, too much study. Listen, if you don't study, you can't have conviction. So you study God's word to have conviction. How did I get here? Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Look at what God said. He said, Look at what Paul is saying. He says, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Glory to God. So the resurrection of Christ. If we believe that Christ was raised, raised for us, we have entered into justification. What does it mean? We have become blameless before God as though we never sinned. That's what it means. So your faith in the gospel is what qualifies you to enter into the righteousness of God. To receive the righteousness of God. Don't worry, just follow my teaching. It will help you. So what does it mean? What does righteousness mean? Let's just do definition of terms quickly. What does righteousness mean? I'll just use that primary word. Righteousness, what does it mean? Righteousness means coming into the God class. Hallelujah. Are you writing? Righteousness means coming into the God class. Coming into the class of God. Coming into the realm of God. Becoming one with God. Jesus prayed a prayer in John chapter 17. Let's open to John chapter 17. To John, just came to my spirit. I want to read it to you verbatim. John chapter 17. John 17. Let's read verse 11. 
I'm looking for this particular verse I'm looking for. Okay, 21. Sorry. John 17. The Gospel of John 17, verse 21. John 17, 21. Look at this. I want to show you what righteousness is. Righteousness means that you are one with God. You have been brought into the God class. I love this scripture so much. And I think you should highlight it because this is Jesus. This is Jesus' prayers for all believers. Alright? Let's read from verse 20. Let's read from verse 20. John 17, verse 20. He says, I pray not only for this, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Hallelujah. Somebody said Jesus didn't preach righteousness, that it was Paul that preached it. May God help us. This is righteousness they are talking about. Look at what Jesus says. Look at it. This, he was about to depart from the earth. So he's saying his final prayers to God. And he's praying for all believers. Look at verse 20. He says, I pray not only for this, that is not only for the apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their message. 21. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. May they also be one. Are you seeing that now? 22. He says, I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. So Jesus is saying, I want them to be one in us. I want them to be one with us. That is righteousness. Jesus wanted every. Jesus is praying, let all those who believe in me, let them come into the God class. That is righteousness. So righteousness is coming into the God class. I'm going to explain that briefly. It also means having the ability to fellowship with God without fear or guilt or inferiority. It also means having the ability to fellowship with God, to stand before God, to relate with God without fear or guilt or inferiority. That's righteousness. Say after me, there's no fear in perfect love. Perfect love casts out of fear. I'm saying to you, if, if there's any voice of condemnation in your heart, I silence that voice in the name of Jesus. It is not of God. Let me show you something. Look at Genesis. You see, this righteousness we are talking about has been the heart cry of men. It has been your heart cry. It has been your heart cry. You know, the Holy Ghost just remembered me a prayer. I prayed some years back. Let me leave that one. Genesis chapter 3. I will skip some part because... Um, let me, let's read from verse 8. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. From verse 8. Genesis chapter 3 from verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife ate the sound of the Lord God. This after they had eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then so, this verse 8 now. Then the man and his wife ate the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they eat themselves from the Lord, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we see that the, one of the first consequences or the effect that the fall had on man was that he became afraid of God. He could no longer stand boldly. He could no longer stand boldly before God. I'm saying to you, everything that is not making you stand boldly before God, every voice of condemnation that is not allowing you to stand boldly before God is silenced today in the name of Jesus. Many of you like, are like, and it's because you don't understand this thing I'm, I'm teaching you. You want to pray, you feel like, ah, I can't pray. God won't hear me. That is, that is, that is guilt. You are not working in your reality as a man who has been made righteous because that's the effect of the fall. So they heard the, the sound of God and they went to go and hide. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. God says, so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Man had lost his place in the God class. 
Because you need to know what it means. When the Bible says he made them in his image and according to his likeness. That means God. Listen, it doesn't absolutely mean that God has, you know, I'm not sure if we can actually say that, but it doesn't really mean that if you are six feet, God is, for example, God is not six feet or seven feet. We don't know how tall he is. So he's not four feet. You get what I'm saying? So when we say image and likeness, are you get what I'm saying? We are talking about nature. Nature. That man was made in the nature. He had the materials of God. He was in the class of God. And so that's what Adam lost when he fell. He fell from that God class that God had put in. And he became fearful. He, didn't, he no longer had the ability to fellowship with God without fear or guilt or inferiority. So he went to hide. He said, I'm naked. And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, then he asked him, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the story goes on. He began to blame the woman. I was meditating on this some, a while back. Let me not go into that. It will make me digress, alright? But you see, what Adam lost was righteousness. According to my definition, I said righteousness is coming into the God class. Righteousness is standing in the God class. Righteousness is also the ability to relate with God, fellowship with God, commune with God, stand before God without fear or guilt or inferiority. And that was exactly what Adam lost. So actually, actually, hey, this is powerful. What mankind actually lost was righteousness. It was because man lost his righteousness that he lost his fellowship with God, he lost his glory, he lost his dominion. So that means in Christ Jesus, as we gain our righteousness back, all those things that we lost in the fall has been restored. Hallelujah. That is why your problem as a believer is not glory. I've told you before, you are a glorious being. It's just that the world has defined to you what glory is. If you don't have certain billions in your account, you don't have a... I don't really say glorious destiny. I don't know. Me, I tell people, I already have a glorious destiny. And what is my glorious destiny? Is that I'm in Christ. And Christ is in me. In fact, the way Paul, David in the Old Testament put it, he says, For thou, O God, art a shield for me. You are my glory. You get what I'm saying? So because you have now been made righteous... Through the sacrifice and finished works of Christ, you have, re, you, have, you have regained the glory that man lost in the beginning. The dominion. Listen, if you understand righteousness, you will walk in dominion. I tell you, Satan cannot touch me. It's not because I pray too much. I'm a righteous man. I've told you before, when you read the book of Psalms, and you see where they say the righteous, the righteous, they are talking about you. So when you see David say, the righteous shall never be moved nor shaken. You can put your name and say, I, Folusha, can never be moved nor shaken. I'm the righteous man they are talking about. I've never seen the righteous man forsaken, nor he said beg for bread. I can boldly say, because I'm a righteous man, I can never be forsaken. God cannot forsake me. My seed can never beg for bread. My children's children are blessed. I'm a righteous man. So what Adam lost was his ability to stand before God. He lost the estate that God put him. He lost his God consciousness. In quote. But hallelujah. In Christ Jesus, God dealt with those things. With those limitations. There's one song. No more veil. No more limitations. I can now see Jesus. Face. You see, that's, 
That's a song that you should be singing. Not, when shall I see your food? Uh, what's that song? Okay, that one is a, oh my home, baby. I need it for God. There's also some people used to sing. It's not that one I need to sing. There's also some people used to sing. I forgot it. But there are songs that you should sing that should remind you that you're a righteous man. That the veil has been taken away. That now God can summon you and talk with you. Now you can see God face to face. The things that were not available for men like Moses. Let me show you some prophetic insights. Let me give you some prophetic insights. Moses prayed a prayer in Exodus chapter 33. He said, God, show me your face. God, show me your face. And then God passed before him and covered Moses' face so that Moses would not see, see his face. And then Moses saw his back. You know what God was telling Moses? He was saying, look, you can't see my face. Only men in Christ can see my face. Because right now, the Bible says that as we behold him as in a mirror, we are changed from God's righteousness. Now we can behold him. Hopefully, without veil, without limitations. So God was telling Moses, this thing you are praying for is not for you. It's not for your dispensation. That's why we call Jesus the high priest of good things that have come. That's why Hebrew cross calls him that name. High priest of good things that have come. What are the good things? Things that accomplish redemption, righteousness, ability to stand before God and, and see his face and commune with him. That's why even when you make a mistake, Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come, come boldly, come boldly. Don't come with fear. Don't come with low self-esteem. Now, I've told you before, they didn't say come proudly. They said come boldly. What does it mean to say come boldly? You are coming assured of who God has made you to be. You are coming boldly because of what Christ has done for you. You are coming on the basis of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. So you come boldly. I say, Lord, I messed up, but I'm still your son. Help me. All I need is more grace. Let me tell you something. Okay, I will save this for I will save these thoughts, you know, for our in gathering this month. I will share some things with us as we round up in gathering this as we round up in gathering this year. You don't want to miss it anyways. So God in Christ Jesus has dealt with the limitations that that hindered men from knowing God. Are you get what I'm saying? So what man lost was actually righteousness, but it has been restored for as many of us that believe the gospel. That have believed in the gospel or in case you're not born again i want to say to you if you will believe that jesus died for your sins and that he was buried and that he rose for your justification on the third day if you believe this that because of what he has done god calls you into righteousness if you just believe it you have become saved it's as simple as that so you can make that confession and say lord jesus i believe that you died for my sins and that you rose on the third day for my justification i receive the blessedness of being made right with God because of what you have done for me. If you declare that, you have become saved. And then you want to begin to now look for a Bible-believing church for you can be discipled and grow in the knowledge of God. Are you get what I'm saying? So I can boldly say that God is at peace with me. God is not angry with me. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and then we'll read Romans chapter 5 verse 17. We we'll just read those two verses, one and seven. We we'll, won't we'll read it all through, you know. <coughs> Let me look at my scripture, all right? Romans chapter five, verse one. Romans chapter five, verse one. It says, "Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Romans chapter five, verse one. 
Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that you and God are no longer fighting. You're no longer at longer, you know, at you don't have issues with God. God doesn't have issues with you. You have become the project of God. I taught you when I was teaching about the fatherhood of God that the man in Christ Jesus is the project of God. God is your husband man. So if there's anything you're not doing right, God will God will chastise you, right? He will correct you. He will keep malice with you. He will correct you. He will tell you, my boy, what you did was wrong. He will correct you. He will give up on you. He will chastise you. He will teach you. He will pour more grace on you. He will pour more grace on you. That's what Hebrews was saying. That come boldly to the throne of grace that you cannot, that you might find mercy and grace in time of need. Where in the last days there's so much of spiritual attack, so much of attack on our faith. We need grace. So I was praying this morning and I'm just saying, God, I need more grace. Only of it, yes, just more grace, just more grace, abundant grace. And I was just singing this song, um, this old song that our fathers used to sing. Give me grace to follow, abundant grace to follow. Give me grace to follow. Your grace is enough for me. So you see, it's because it's not easy to walk with God these days. Distractions everywhere. But guess what? Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. Because God will keep lavishing grace. You see, what you need is grace. And if you don't know you are a righteous man, it will be hard for you to receive the grace that God is bringing. There's grace to pray. You are struggling with your prayer life. Just ask him. If I told you people before, that who told you you need plenty of power and strength to pray? God cannot refuse the prayer of a righteous man. I've told you before, the prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. So even if a righteous man says, God, help me. And that's all he's saying. He doesn't have many words to say. That simple words are so powerful that all the angels are running elter scatter. Coming to strength because when Jesus was going to go to the cross and he was bankrupt of grace to go through it, it was because some of you don't know that Jesus too was a complete human being, even though he was 100% God. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's something we treat some other time about the deity of Christ and his humanity, how they coexist, how that Christ is both 100% God and 100% man. If God does not come before I teach you, I will teach you. I mean, if Christ does not come before, I will teach you. But that's something that we need to understand is this that debates around it that if you are saying christ was god why was he crying at garden of Gethsemane, asking for help why was he hungry all right we'll talk about that later so there was a moment in christ's life even though he knew that it was god's will to go to the cross he had been talking about it if our paul told him, and peter told him don't go to the cross you won't die jesus rebuked him and said get thee behind me satan so it was not an issue of ignorance he knew this was the will of god but at that level, it was a backdrop of strength. And for three hours, Jesus kept saying the same thing. Who told you you have to, to pray with eloquence? God, I come before thee in the gloriousness of your mightiness, and you'll be speaking big, big grammar. It's not about that one. God, I need you now more than ever before. I need your strength. And so he kept praying that same prayer. And Bible says, angels came and strengthened him. So when you pray, angels run around. Not because of something. Because you are a man in Christ. You are righteous. By the way, we have a devotional, you know, out. We have a devotional out called man, Men in Christ. All right? You want to study those devotionals. Simple words. When I was scripting them down, it blessed me. And I think it was from there, the Holy Ghost inspired me to do a thorough teaching on it. Because... 
There are many things I could not see I talk about in the devotionals. I couldn't find so much expression because devotionals have to be, you know, short enough, brief, so that people can assimilate easily. So I have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Hallelujah. He says, Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So when you are doing your bad days and I put you reign in life, you know, I think recently, last month, some people relayed me on social media and said, Ah, I was very embarrassed to find out that anytime I'm greeting people happy birthday, I like to put you reign in life. But it's a mighty prayer. I'm declaring your reality to you. Because if you are born again, you are in Christ Jesus, that's your reality. You reign in life. You are a master over life. Are you get what I'm saying? Because you are a righteous man. You are a master over life. You are a master over Satan. Because now you are in the God class. Don't forget our definition of righteousness. Now, you know, when we talk about this thing, a lot of people feel, you see, this doctrine of righteousness is not the problem of the lasciviousness that runs in the vast majority of the Christian body, where people just commit sin without, without caution and without um, their conscience speaking them. At least, if you're a believer, when you do something wrong, your, your, your conscience should prick you. To say, because those things make sense. It does not befit you as a man in Christ. And then you go to God, He helps you, He keeps helping you. Because God is patient. He keep, see, as long as you are willing to grow, God is not tired of you. In fact, when you understand the doctrine of righteousness accurately, you will not like to commit sin. Because it's just like you telling a lion to eat grass. A lion cannot eat grass. It's a lion. Lions don't eat grass. The consciousness of its identity will not make it eat grass. I don't know if this story is true. I think it was, was it Miles Moroy that said it or somebody? I think I heard it, read it in a book or somewhere. I'm sure we have, we've heard it before. A lion was picked up, you know, when it was just a baby, a baby, a cub, and was, it was reared among goats and sheep, right? I think so. I can't, I think goats and sheep are there about. And so this lion grew up with the identity of being a sheep. And so it was eating grass, even though that's an aberration. So one day, they were in the, you know, the, the, the shepherd was, you know, taking all of them to pasture and all of that. And so the, a lion attacked them, and the lion roared, and, you know, they all fled and all of that. So they were, they, then the shepherd, I can't remember the story, I'm, I think I'm correct with the way I'm narrating it. Then the shepherd took them to go and drink water, and so as the, this lion was drinking water. It, it, it saw its re- reflection in the water. And the lion said to himself, I, I, I look like that animal that attacked us, that we all ran away from. So for the first time, the lion is coming to a consciousness of who it really is. Are you seeing that now, friends? And so for the first time, because the, the lion that attacked them roared. And so for the first time, this lion roared. And he saw that he could produce the same sound that that lion, that that animal that attacked them produced, then all of a sudden, this lion realized that he was not a sheep like, other, that, like the others he was following. He was actually a lion. Why did I say all of this? Is that one of the greatest problems of humanity is what we call identity crisis. That's why you must know what God has called you. Are we all following me? So, many of the problems of mankind is identity crisis. A lot of people are sadly believers don't know who they are in Christ. You want to get your identity straight because there are many voices that are speaking. 
confusing you about who you really are. You must know. Hallelujah. A lion is a lion any time of the day. Even when a lion is sleeping, it is still a lion. The same fear you have for a lion when it is walking about and roaring is the same fear you will have when it is sleeping. So, okay, let me skip that. Alright, so, another thing I want to share with you is that your righteousness is an offspring, is a flow of your faith. Alright, I think I dealt with that. Okay, Romans chapter 4 verse 1. You are made righteous by faith. I think we all know that. <coughs> Romans chapter 1. It says, sorry, Romans chapter 4 verse 1. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. It says, what then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So Paul is saying, what, did, what actually did Abraham find? What actually did Abraham find? I will show you that later on, but let me just explain this to you. Abraham found righteousness by faith. Are you getting what I'm saying? So our, our righteousness is because we believed. So now, there are two kinds of righteousness. I want to deal with that quickly. And I'll begin to look for a way to just say one or two things and round up. There are two kinds of righteousness. Number one is self-righteousness. Look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. A kind of righteousness that flows from works. And you all need to be careful about this. Even, even though you are a believer, I want to um, stress some things tonight. I want to show you how work comes. You know, there's a lot I want to share. This is just like an introductory teaching. As we go on in this series, I will talk about some details. But just flow with me. Two kinds of righteousness. Self-righteousness. 64 verse 6. 64 verse 6. All of us have become... Can somebody let me put KJV? I think everybody can relate with this in KJV version better. Can somebody help me put the KJV version? Quickly, please. That's in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Um, I'll be looking at the chat section. So anybody? Okay, should I just go on? Okay, I can't wait any longer. Well, let me just read it here in, in HCSB. It says, verse 6, Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like polluted garments. Okay, thank you. It says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us in. So this is describing the state of every one of us when we're unbelievers. So there's something I want to pick out, is that, is that in verse 6 it says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So you see, a lot of people take pride in their righteous acts. Now, it doesn't mean if you're a believer you should not do righteous things. That's not what we are saying. I'm going to come into that, how that righteousness has works. But you see, our works of righteousness must flow from the understanding that God has made us righteous. Did you get that? So I'm not doing righteous things so that I can become righteous before God. No, I do righteous things because I am already righteous. Because there's a spiritual principle you must understand. And I want you to write it down. That becoming precedes doing. Alright? Becoming or being... B-E-I-N-G Being precedes doing So that's the, that's the principle that God flows with You have to become before you can do So there's nothing God is asking you to do now That he has not made you become So that's why he came to, he came to what's he called Gideon 
even before Gideon fought any war or did any valiant work or did any act of valor, God called him a mighty man of valor. Because you must become it before you can do it. You don't do to become. You do because you have already become. Are you getting one? It's so simple. So anything that God is asking you to do is because you have first of all become it. If God is saying disciple people, it's because he has made you a disciple. So the same thing goes. So you can't... So self-righteousness is an attempt to become righteous by the works, you know, by righteous works, works of the law. And I want to say this quickly. When we talk about the law, I was explaining to a friend, you know, a friend asked me a question, you know, he, he always asked me questions, you know, he's intrigued by apologetics. So he asked me questions a lot of times. So he asked me a question about the law and I said, you need to understand when the Bible says law in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it must be understood contextually. So when the Bible says that God has done away with the law, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talk, I think I've said this before. I've taught you guys before, I think last year, or when we're doing the law and the prophets or something, that the law isn't the Ten Commandments. The law are the laws of Moses. And there are many. You can't keep them. So if you want to be righteous by the, by the laws of Moses, you know, you're not going to make it alive. The Ten Commandments is the law of God. And that is what, as believers, we have been empowered by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit in us to fulfill. So when the Bible says, I will write my laws, you know, in the prophecy of the new, of, of the new creation, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, or thereabout, when God says, I will write my laws, I will give them a new heart, and I will write my laws on their heart, that laws there is the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments is spiritual. God has not done away with it. So that you will not say, I'm a new creation, now I can fornicate and commit adultery. It doesn't matter. I'm righteous. No. Alright? Or you can convert people things and say, I'm righteous now. No. That's why people get it wrong. So are you seeing what I'm saying? So look at this. Self-righteousness is an attempt. And you will see, it. I, I, I just don't have time to take you through all of those Bible verses. That's why I had to show you from Isaiah. How, how um, God is saying, you can't become righteous by works. You can't become righteous by works. And the other kind of righteousness is the righteousness by faith, which I've been trying to explain to you. Righteousness by faith. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Hmm. Oh, glory to God. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter five. Are we getting blessed tonight? Like I said, Bible study will help you build conviction. These things I'm teaching you saved me from a lot of problems. Hmm. It changed my life. All right. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Popular scripture, everybody should know it. He said, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might do what? Become. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we can become right with God. You know, I told you that there's a spiritual law that God operates by. Becoming precedes what? Doing. You will still do, you will still do the work, and I will emphasize this doing part. Maybe next week or thereabout. So that you don't just be shouting, I'm righteousness, righteousness, and your life is not a proof of that. You are just doing, you are, you are keeping malice, fornicating, and you say, no, it's, it's, it's wrong. And while I know that we all make mistakes at one point in the, or the other, this understanding that because I'm righteous, there's a demand on my life to live righteously, will help you to, you will sit right, you will know how to live and arrange your ways. I you get what I'm saying. But primarily, in the first place, you don't do righteousness to become right. That's the mistake of self-righteous people. 
And that's why I always tell people that if you meet a self-righteous person, they are always proud and wicked. I, I will keep saying this thing. They are always, they are always. Because you listen, if you meet somebody who believes that he's righteous before God, because he doesn't, she doesn't wear a ring. She believes that the reason why she's righteous before God, she can pray and God can hear her, is because she doesn't wear a ring. In case you are wearing a ring, she, she looks at you and she believes you are going, you are on your way to hell. That she just believes you are on your way to hell because she, she believes that by wearing. By her not wearing a ring, she's righteous before God. So, people who are self-righteous are wicked. That's why the Jews, you know, those Pharisees are very wicked. Very wicked. Unmerciful. Because they believe that they are right with God. Because they have kept the law. And it's a lie, you. They are just hypocrites. So, if you believe that you are righteous because of your prayer life, when you meet a brother who doesn't have a serious prayer life like you, you look at him and say, ah, <laughs> All these ones are jokers. God has no business with all these ones. Because you believe it's your prayer that makes you something. Now, you must pray. All right? But you see, the New Testament language is esteem others better than you. If you see a brother who is weak, you know, you help him. I think I've mentioned that before. I won't go into all of that. So look, look, look at that. We have become righteous. We have become righteous. Not because of what we have done. Somebody did it for us. Look at this, friends. Ah, can I say something to you? You could not pay the price for your righteousness. You cannot. Adam could not do it. It's you that will not do it. I mean, Adam saw God face to face. God fellowship with him before the fall. When he fell, there was nothing he could do to make himself righteous. He lived and died under the weight of that sin. And many men better than you have lived upon this earth. I was telling somebody that if, right, if self-righteousness could take men, if men could enter heaven without Christ, then there would have been no need for Abraham's bosom. Because Abraham's bosom was in hell, not in heaven. Are you listening to me? Because Jesus told us, He says, No man has seen God or gone to heaven at any point in time. So you ask me a question, Elijah, where did he go to? I, I, I explained that months ago. I won't explain it again because of time. It's an exigency I don't want to go into. Say so Elijah was carried into heaven. Do you know what? Do you know what heaven is? You want to enter heaven without the blood of Jesus Christ? God had to slay his son so that men can enter heaven. That was why when Jesus rose, Bible says that all the saints rose with him. That was the first time they were loosed from the prison of hell to enter into heaven. So all those Isaiah, holy men, Abraham, those men that walked with God, Osea, all of those guys, they could not enter heaven. It took the blood of Jesus to set them free. So at best, what God did for them to say, okay, because God is a just God. He knows say then try. He said, okay, when I try, at least when I'll do well. When I better pass Nimrod and all those JL boys. Okay, uh, you will still go to hell, but I will carve out a good place for you where you will not suffer like that. But they were still in hell. Because Abraham's bosom, because Jesus told us about Abraham's bosom, when Lazarus and the rich man died, he, he showed us. And it was not a parable. Because theologians tell us that if Jesus mentions people's names specifically, it was not a parable, it was a real life thing. So he mentioned Lazarus and a rich man. So it happened real life. And because you know, it was God before he became a man. Alright? He knew those things that happened. So Abraham, Isaiah, all of those guys could not enter into heaven without the blood of Jesus. So when you read Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, Hebrews 9 verse 12, the writer of Hebrews said something profound. It changed my life forever. He said, not with blood of goats or calves, but with his precious blood. He obtained eternal redemption for us. 
So it took, you can't pay for your sin. Do you know how great? See, may pride not kill some people. You just believe you can obtain your own righteousness. No, somebody has to offer it to you. Your sin was too great. But guess what? His mercy is greater. Hallelujah. His mercy is greater. And so 21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. The law of substitution is plain here. The law of substitution. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Lord, I bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Because you did what I could not do for myself. I rejoice in this. So my righteousness is not based on my works. It's based on the works of another. And because of what he has done, now I have the grace to please God. Hallelujah. So self-righteous people don't know this. And that's why they are wicked or merciful. They believe they are better than if God, if God shows you a self-righteous man. You, you will not like yourself. They are wicked. They are wicked. Unmerciful. Proud. But when you discover that God made you righteous because of somebody, or somebody of the sacrifice of Christ, then it ambushes you. Are you with me? Now, somebody will make a statement. And say, this thing that Paul is teaching, this thing that Paul is teaching, Jesus didn't talk about it. That when you search the scriptures, there's no place that Jesus said, I will, I will, through my sacrifice, you will become the righteousness of God. You become righteous before God through my sacrifice. That Jesus never talked about it, that it just passed own ideology. They are wrong. They've not studied well. They've not studied well. I can show you many scriptures in the Gospels that Jesus was the first person to declare that righteousness is possible, not by your works, but by his own forgiveness, by his own mercy. Oh yeah, let's look at Luke chapter 5. Now, I'm doing two things for you tonight. I'm teaching you and I'm equipping you to teach. But you'll meet people who will debunk this thing. I'm able to teach them. In fact, I, 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 I was, I'm hoping to teach the workers. I will do this just for the workers who are, part of, who are workers of the ensign. I want to teach, teach you guys on um, apologetics next year. I promise to do that. I really want to do that. I really want to do that. Because some of you don't even know how to defend the faith. You ask a question, you say, I'm, 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 I shall believe, sir. No, don't be like that. You must be able to defend what you believe. That's why you, you must be a student of the scriptures and study hard. You know, um, I just got some PDFs of some books of some early church fathers, Irenaeus, Jerome, you know, Athenesius, Athenesius or something, you know, just go, because those men devoted their times and their life to apologetics too. You know, it's because when we are doing ministry these days, all we are concerned about, you know, is just gathering people, you know, making a name for ourselves. And, and, and I feel that's not too good for a minister. You must be able to build conviction in people. I'm, speak, I'm speaking to those of us who are here, who are young ministers and wanting to go into ministry. You must study hard. In fact, I tell myself, I'm not studying. I study, but I feel like ah, I'm not studying as much. I want, I want, in fact, I want to get to a place. I want to kill myself with book. No concern anybody. I want to just... You see, because, because if Jesus, who was the King of Kings, I mean, who is the King of Kings, our Creator, all right, came into this world as a man and devoted at least from the age of 12 to 30. That's how many years now? About 18 years back, devoted it to study because the Bible tells us that at the age of 12, he was in synagogue disputing, talking with lawyers of the law. He was studying. I knew you would just want to go into ministry, go and buy suit. You know, people when they say God called them and the next thing you want to do is go and buy suit, you, you check online which latest suit they reign, how they do ministry now, and then you go and put social media, you believe that's ministry. You have failed. 
And you know, if you have business mindset, you can progress, so you can prosper, because people don't even know their left from their right. Most people don't even know what they should be looking for in the ministry. So you will gather fools like you. Now, the only problem is that when you not get, on the last day, they will not test your work with fire, and you will not discover that the man that was discipling people under the tree will have more reward than you. I taught you last week that what God rewards is faithfulness. He didn't say, well done, that great and famous servant. He didn't say, well done, that glamorous and influential social media influencer minister servant. He said, that good and faithful. Faithful, faithfulness. Faithful to the message. People may not like what you are teaching, but you are faithful to it. Come and check me 10 years. I'm still teaching these things. By the special grace of God. There's nothing else we want to teach. We are bound to teach these words. We have. That's why I told you when we started that the message of the gospel is a tradition passed from Christ himself to the early apostles of the Lamb to saints of hope and down to us. So I'm constrained. I can't teach what I like. I'm a creative person, but no, my creativity cannot pass the confines of scripture. And that's why I don't give too many illustrations when I teach because you can even illustrate and illustrate yourself your way out of doctrinal balance. Because you see, earthly things are not sufficient enough to explain eternal things. So we have to look for the best illustrations, right? But let's keep all of that. Luke chapter 5. My time is running. Luke, 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 Luke chapter 5. I want to show you that Jesus also declared this gospel of righteousness. He declared it. Luke chapter 5, verse 26. Let me read Luke 25, 26. No, 24. <coughs> okay, because of time, let's, and for understanding, let's read from verse 19. Luke 5 verse 19. Sorry, I'm just calling different verses. I'm looking for the best place to start and so that we can also beat time. Are we still following, friends? I will round up soon. I still have a number of things to share. Skip them and then we'll talk about them next week. Are we getting blessed at all? Luke chapter 5 verse 20, verse 20, verse 19 rather. It says, Since they could not find a way to bring him because of the crowd. We know the story. There's a, a man, a, a paralyzed man and, he, and his friends wanted to get him healed. Right. So, since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof ties into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Verse 20, look at what Jesus says. He says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Are you seeing this? This is, this is the gospel of righteousness. He says, friend, your sins, what is the meaning of your sins are forgiven you? I declare you righteous. I declare you sinless. I declare you forgiven and guiltless before God. Are you following me? So Jesus is actually the first person. Because, let me tell you why this is an issue. Because when you read verse 21, then the scribes and Pharisees began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Meaning they are saying, we know how God they forgive sin. He forgives sins with goats and bulls and blah and blah and blah. You are just speaking blood. You are speaking rubbish. You don't know what you are saying. Verse 22. But perceiving their thought, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, and to say, Get up and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has what? Has authority on earth to forgive sins. Has authority on earth to make me righteous. Hallelujah. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat and go, and go home. Look at this. When you read this story, you are forced to just look at the healing and not the fact that Jesus was declaring the man righteous, that he was preaching the gospel. So let's take our eyes from the miracles first, all right, and look at the gospel Jesus preached. 
He says, so you can know that the Son of Man, I have the authority to make men righteous. Men can be righteous through me. That's what he's saying. So he declared the man righteous. Because that's what it means. Because when we say righteousness, it means forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. I told you, that righteousness is the ability to stand before God without fear and guilt. What will make you stand before God without fear and guilt is because your sins have been forgiven. Your unrighteousness has been taken away. That thing that makes you not to able to approach God and not to be able to stand before God has been taken away. Has been taken away. Hallelujah. So Jesus is the first to actually preach this. Because the Jews knew, they felt in their heart that before a, a man can be declared sinless, he must do a tutu. If you are not about forgive me, it is to mean sacrifice. He must sacrifice bull, sacrifice all those things before the priest cannot declare him righteous and, 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 and his sins forgiven. But Jesus says, without you sacrificing one thing, I declare you righteous. I declare you forgiven. <laughs> Glory to God. See his mercy. Say, I mean, I have the authority that without sin, without sin offering, Without peace offering and all of those things, I declare you righteous. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Did you get that? One more scripture to, 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 to help. So that when people are questioning you, why will you say we can be righteous without works? Jesus did not preach it. Paul is an imposter. Then you can take them to this place and show them. And if they won't believe in their problem. Luke 7 verse Luke 7 verse 48. Luke 7. Because I owe you the responsibility of teaching you the word of God in its simplicity and to show you from scriptures. And these are not fables. Luke 7 verse 48. Luke 7 48. Let's read from... Um, it's a long read. Oh God. Okay. <coughs> so there's this woman. Let me give you a background of Luke 7. You know, and then I'll just read a particular portion of it to you. There's a woman. You know, we know the story. She came to Jesus. You know... You know, wash his feet with her tears, you know, anointed him with fragrant oil and all of those things. Then the Pharisees, you know, saying if this man was a prophet, he would have known that this woman touching him, she's a sinner. All right. Then verse 40, Jesus replied to him. So the question, the, the, the issue here, the context here is that they're looking at this woman and they're saying she's a sinner, she's, she's unrighteous. So because she's unrighteous, she shouldn't be in the congregation of the righteous. See, see self-righteous people. Then Jesus gives them a doctrine. Verse 40. Jesus replied, Luke 7 40. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. 41. He said, A creditor had two debts, one owed 500 denarii, and the other 50 for the two. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Look at that. He said, Since they could not pay it back. So that's Jesus saying that the sin of mankind, man could not pay his sin back. That's what I showed you before. No man could have paid for his sins. So it means that if you could not pay for your sins, you need somebody else to pay it for you and to declare you righteous. That's just what the gospel of righteousness, the doctrine of righteousness is saying. You couldn't pay for it, and Christ did. So he says that since they could not pay, verse 42, since they could not pay it back, the righteous, the, the master graciously forgave them both. So he says, so which of them will love him more? You know, I found out that people that used to serve God most the most are people that have done bad things. <laughs> you know, you that they gave back to you in Christian house, they took you to Sunday school, you know they love God well because somewhere in your heart, self-righteousness is there. So you feel that, eh, I've not done much bad things now, but a lady who have aborted several times or a man 
who has killed several people, or a man who has almost destroyed his life with Colos and Loud and Arizona, what was the name of that thing? Colorado, sorry, almost messed up his life and Christ found him, forgave him, made him righteous. Such people are likely to love God more. So that's just by the way, anyways. So 43, Simon said, Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Then 44, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water. Let me skip all of those things. 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. Her many sins have been what? Have been forgiven. Now, it's not that it was when she came and poured oil on his feet and wiped it that God, that Christ forgave her. No. Christ is saying, even before she did these things, I have forgiven her. I see gospel. 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He declared her righteous. Even though the Pharisee looked upon her as a sinner, Jesus says she's righteous. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. I have many things I want to share, but can we lift up our hands and thank him? I say, Father, I thank you for finding me and making me righteous. I could not pay for my sins, but you paid for it. My sin was great, but your love was greater. And because of your love, you declared me righteous. There's no love I'm showing you now that is not a product of your forgiveness. Everything I'm doing is just to say thank you for making me righteous. For making me fit to stand before you. Can you lift up your... If you understood what I've said so far, it's a good time to thank God. I say, I thank you. I could not pay for my sin. I could not pay it. I could never. I could never have paid for my sins. I could never. If I tried a billion times, I would have failed. I would have failed. If I tried a billion times, I would have failed. But through the gospel, you revealed your righteousness to me. Through the gospel, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, you showed me that my sins have been forgiven. And that now I'm a righteous man. And that now I can come before you with boldness, without fear, without inferiority. I can stand before you without guilt because you declared me righteous. I give you thanks, my father. Oh, Rabba Konasaya. Give thanks, my friends. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Bless him. Bless him. This is the gospel. Bless him. Lord, I thank you. I could not pay for my sins. I know where you brought me from. I know where you brought me from. I know you brought me from the dunghill of sin and mess. You washed me. I couldn't pay. My sins almost killed me. They took me far from you, but in your mercy. Oh, Radha Messiah. Kebra Kavanish Tavilia Branda Kessia. Oh, I bless you. Oh, I bless you for making me righteous. You declared me righteous. You declared my sins forgiven. Oh, I thank you. I praise you. For in Jesus' name we have given thanks. This should be your meditation throughout this week. And then it sink into your spirit. But God, who is rich in mercy. <laughs> I want to show you something quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. I showed you this, I think, two weeks ago when I was teaching about the parable. You know, um, Look, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read from verse, from verse 1. Oh, this should be your mantra. You personalize it, oh. You personalize it yourself. You make it personal. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And I who was dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 1 to 4. Verse 1 to 4. And I who was dead in trespasses and sins, in which I previously walked, according to the ways of the world, 
according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. The spirit now walking in the disobedience. I too, I previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of the flesh and thoughts. And I was by nature a child under wrath as others were also. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for me, verse 5, made me alive with the Messiah. Even though I was dead in trespasses, I am saved by grace. Hallelujah. Grace, oh, grace. Glory to God. Grace found me. Grace found me. <laughs> Telling somebody recently that Moses did well. Isaiah did well. Those, when you read their, 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 their stories, you say, ah! Some people even say, God, give us the days of Elijah. Christian. Yeah, me, I don't want the days of Elijah. I'm in the days of the Christos. I'm in the days of Christ. I'm not going to the day of Elijah. But guess what? Even though those men were great, mighty men, guess what? Grace has put all of us in the same WhatsApp group. Mm. Grace has put me and Elijah and Elisha and Joel and Isaiah and Moses and Joshua and David. Grace has put me with them in the same WhatsApp group. So that they without me could not have obtained the promise. They without me could not have been perfect. Though they did mighty things. God says, eh, I know say on a try. But without Folusha coming into this light, you can't be complete. And so they were praying and interceding. Folusha come to, come to the faith. We need you. So they needed me for their own righteousness to be complete. For, their own, for them to come into the completion of the agenda of God. And same as you. So grace has put us in the same master group. We could not pay for our sins. I could not have paid for my many sins. But I bless God who is rich in mercy. Hallelujah. Who has saved me by grace. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for joining tonight's Bible study. I couldn't even touch many things I wanted to share tonight. We'll continue next week. You want to invite your friends. Because many people need to hear teachings like this. So that their, their faith in Christ Jesus can be solid. They can have an assurance of salvation in their heart. And um, I'm going to be teaching next week, Tuesday. And we'll further in this. This thing you have heard me teach, look for somebody else to teach. You know, just be a blessing. May the Lord bless your heart in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful night, Rich. God bless you.